Hey guys, sorry, Delamont here. This is a recent Facebook Live that we've uploaded as a podcast. Enjoy. When you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there, you need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamont. Okay. Well, welcome, everybody, to March's uh, Facebook Live. If you are on, uh, well, you would be in the Facebook platform. I'm just on Zoom. Um, What's the word? Zooming. No, it's not Zooming over there. But anyways, uh, streaming over to Facebook. So I can't see your comments, but Christy, the amazing Christy is here, and she will get them into the chat for me. Um, as needed. So if you have questions while we're in our Facebook Live today, feel free to post them there in Facebook and Christy will get them to me. Also go ahead and let me know if you're watching and say hi. It's weird over here in the Zoom platform and I have nobody to say hi to or, or, or to be with. So glad to be with you this morning. I'm here at the beach. It's kind of a Oh, I see some blue sky poking out there. Let's do a couple of announcements before we get going since I'm just with you once a month. And those of you who are new um, to the Facebook group know that I am live in here once a month. Do you want more of Sari or Sari's celebrity friends? Join the crew when it opens again in April. We're actually now deciding that we may not open again in June. We normally do four times a year which means your next opportunity wouldn't be until October. So you want to make sure that you get in on the April launch. Go to fromhostagetohero.com to add your name to the wait list to be notified when we open again. All right, so um, other announcements. If you're new to the group, you can go, especially if you're on a laptop or, or a desktop, I'm not sure that it works the same on an iPad. But if you go to the top of this group and you click on more, and then media, and then videos, you will find all of the past Facebook Lives. You will find all of the past webinars that we have done with Rick Friedman. He's been here twice. Randy McGinn, David Ball, Ed Capozzi, Jesse Wilson, Dorothy Clay Sims. Who am I forgetting, Christy? We've got other people. But if you want to go back and watch any of those, they live here in the group. So just go click on more media and then videos and you can find all of the past Facebook lives plus all of the past webinars that we've done with our celebrity guests. Hi Mallory from here. Uh, Keith Mitnick, yes thank you um, Christy. Keith Mitnick was also here that was a super fun webinar last month. Okay so we are talking about the trial dialogue and I recognized when I was searching my email that I've done a webinar on the trial dialogue about uh, almost a year ago, July last year. Um, and so I wanted to do one again because the, the idea has uh, advanced and it's probably the most popular concept in my work. I wouldn't say most popular, but very popular concept in my work. And I think if you get this, hey, June, hey, Ann, um, 
you will really get what we're trying to do in trial. I think this is just going to make your life so much easier. So if you have a pen and paper, go ahead and grab that now because you're going to want to take some notes as I go through this. This is not a regular webinar with slides and whatnot. So you're going to have to just take notes from my voice. And here's the first note that you want to take. I believe that wadir and opening are connected in three very important ways and we're going to focus on one of those ways in today's facebook live so the first way in which wadir and opening are connected is that in wadir we ask questions and in opening we get to answer those questions but here's what we're going to focus on today when we talk about the ask and answer we're going to talk about how those two things are, when you answer, it's really the juror's answer that you are giving back to them as a gift. And that's what I'm gonna talk about and how to do that in today's Facebook Live. The second way that opening or voir dire and opening are connected, hey, City and Paul, um, is that, that in voir dire, we are supposed to be listening and in opening, that's when we get to talk. But we often reverse that, do we not? We tend to do more talking in Wadir than we do listening. I'm telling you, you're missing out on an opportunity if you don't truly know how to listen. In fact, we talk about in the crew and otherwise, the three levels of listening. Go and listen, and Christy can drop that in here. Hey, Tim. Um, the podcast episode, The Three Levels of Listening, to find out which two levels you most likely are missing out on. We have the listening to ourselves, listening to someone else, and listening to what's not being said, what's in the room. When you get really good at listening, this is where Wadir gets really good. Because if you're really tracking the conversation and the crew, we spend a lot of time tracking the conversation and really being with the juror. Because here's what ends up happening, is that the juror will be begin speaking and it brings to mind something that you want to ask or or you you get ahead of yourself and think I've got to you know get back on track or follow my outline and you miss what the juror just gave you which was a huge gift and so you want to make sure that you've got your levels of listening down so that second trial dialogue piece the first one again is ask and answer the second one is listen and talk we don't want to short shrift ourselves and the jurors by not truly listening in what ear, because that's where every good thing comes in. And that's how we're gonna be able to do the ask and answer piece, which is what I'm focusing on in today's Facebook Live. The third way that voir dire and opening are connected is that in voir dire, we get to form the group. It's really our only chance of forming the group. And in opening, we get to lead the group. And throughout trial, we get to lead the group. Hey, Chris, Medek show, good to see you. Well, I'm not seeing you, but I'm seeing that you're here, lovely. So, so many of our crew members here, and they already know a lot of this information. Um, so thank you for being here. So this is what we really want to, to, or what I really want to get across to you, is that if you understand the trial dialogue, it makes everything easier. If we go back to social science and what we know about um, persuasion and and what we know about influence and all the things that, that we're trying to do in trial. What we know for sure is that the strongest influencer in a juror's life is the juror themselves. That is true for all of us. We believe ourselves beyond anybody else, okay? 
but you guys spend so much time trying to convince the jurors that you are trustworthy, that you are able to lead them to a verdict, that you are not going to lie to them or all the other things that you miss out. And those things are important, don't get me wrong, but you miss out on the very simple things that you can be doing to get the juror to convince themselves of what it is you're trying to convince them of. And that happens through the use of the trial dialogue. So what do I mean? Well, if we go back to this, this concept of ask and answer, when you really get clear on what it is you want jurors to believe, and that is going back to our issue-oriented voir dire, that was last month's uh, Facebook Live. So if, again, if you go back, those of you joining us late, to the top of this group and you click on more, then media, then videos, you can go back and you can watch all the Facebook Lives and all the guest webinars that we've done. Chris Medecho being one of our guest webinars, uh, Richard Cook being another one. So here's the thing. When you get clear on what it is that you want jurors to believe. Now, let me be really clear. Issue-oriented voir dire is not about trying to get jurors to believe these things. Issue-oriented voir dire is about finding out who in our jury panel already believes these things. This is a really big differentiator that I want you to get because so often what you're attempting to do is to try to get someone to believe in whatever it is you want them to believe. And what all the science shows us and the research shows us is that is nearly impossible, right? This is why you go from CLE to CLE trying to be more charismatic and influential and persuasive. And we're reading all the books on persuasion and keep doing it. There's great stuff in there. Don't get me wrong. But here's what you have to remember. And I keep reminding you of, you stand on the side of the right. In every single plaintiff case, we have a principle that was violated. And when you can get to that principle and what was violated, then we get super clear about what our case is about. And then we can activate what I call the trial dialogue. Because now what we're doing is we're going in, knowing what's coming, which is our opening. We can now ask the right questions that we know will be answered in opening. Now, in, in olden times, before the Sari Delamont method, we would, we would do this anyway, right? We would ask these questions in voir dire, and then we would answer them in opening. The difference here is that if we ask the right questions in voir dire, really get clear on what questions we're asking, the jurors really are the ones answering. And what we do then in opening is give them back their answers. Now, this does a couple of really great things. One, it makes your opening feel familiar. In fact, it becomes the juror's opening, not your opening. You are merely repeating what they gave you in voir dire and you're giving it back to them in a form that makes sense with the details added. Because as we all know, you can't give them details in voir dire. So we're gonna, we're gonna gift them back their own answers with the details that we couldn't share with them in voir dire. Two, because it's their answers, it's now their opening. It feels like this is something they came up with because they did. So let me, let me give you an example. So let me go to my notes here because I, I pulled up these examples I wanted to read to you. If, for example, one of the things that you're going to say in your opening is bars can prevent drunk 
driving. Okay. Let's say that's one of the things that you want your, maybe it's on your ideal juror profile belief. So again, if you didn't go and watch that training, we talked about how to create an ideal juror profile. These are the things that I hope at least some of the jurors in the box believe. Then your voir dire is all about how to find those people. So hopefully someone in the box believes that bars can prevent drunk driving. And I'm going to say that in my, in my opening. In fact, that's the first thing I know I'm going to say in my opening. So as I'm creating my opening, I'm thinking, what do I need to ask to see if jurors believe this one, but two, to make it feel like it's their content in opening, not my content. So knowing that I'm going to say bars can prevent drunk driving and the good ones do, actual case out in Midland, Texas. Many of you know, I talk about this case all the time. In voir dire, it's very simple. All I do is I ask the jurors, can bars prevent drunk driving? And then the jurors give me what I need, right? Now, I wanna be really clear. This isn't the first question you would ask. Remember in the last um, Facebook Live, if you were here, we talked about the difference between experiential questions and principle-based questions, right? So your experiential questions, which is where most of you tend to live, and, and I wanna get you out of there, but I don't wanna throw them out completely. Ooh, the sun's coming out. Is the how to kind of get to the principle. I think of it as a funnel. So your experiential is at the top, and then we funnel down to what we really wanna ask. So you might ask questions like, who here has ever been to a bar? Um, whatever your experience to get them into this line of questioning, but eventually you know that where you're heading is can bars prevent drunk driving? So our experiential question in this case was, how as a society have we gone about trying to prevent drunk driving? And there was a lot of, of, of discussion around, well, I remember when I was in high school, we had mothers against drunk driving, or I've seen billboards against drunk driving, or you know, whatever, all the different ways as a society. And then as we, we started hearing about all the different things that different members of society are doing, we love the question, what about bars? Can bars prevent drunk driving? Now, at this point, the group was primed and ready for it because then they started thinking, you know, mothers against drunk driving. We teach our kids about drunk driving. Bars? Well, you know what bars can. And we said, how? And they came up with all kinds of amazing things, some things that weren't even legal, like, you know, you can blow into a breathalyzer before you leave, whatever. But they came up with, well, you don't overserve. The jurors came up with that. Now notice how that's very different if I ask a question about what are your thoughts on overserving and shouldn't overserving being be prohibited and do you see how that's all coming from me? It's a slight but very important difference. If I just get curious and I ask the jurors, what about bars? Can they prevent drunk driving? Now the juror gives me what I know is coming in opening because the jurors, which is exactly what happened in that case said, Yes, they can. And I said, how? Or the attorney said, how? Well, they could do all these different things. So when I got to opening or when the attorney got to opening and they looked at the jurors and they said, bars can prevent drunk driving and the good ones do, the jurors were like, mm-hmm, I said that. I said that. And they felt very proud, which is the third thing. If they feel a part of this. They feel like they were part of creating this thing that you are now all involved in. Now, did every juror believe that bars can prevent drunk driving? No, there was like one guy, there probably was more, but one guy who was like, I don't think that's the bars. He wasn't on our jury, bye-bye. We, we tossed him off as we should have. But this is the point. 
is that if you give jurors the opportunity to own these things in voir dire and then gift it back to them in opening, you have created this real strong dialogue between voir dire and opening, between you and the jurors, between the truth and the principles. It's, it's unbreakable because here's the other thing that, that really is beautiful is if then the jurors have said, yes, bars can prevent drunk driving. When the defense gets up and says, bars have no obligation to prevent drunk driving, who are they now arguing with? They're not arguing with you. I mean, with, with yeah, they're not arguing with you. They're arguing with the jurors. And guess what? We never want to argue with the jurors. The jurors are the most important people in the room. What they say goes. So you've now put the defense in a very terrible position where they have to get up and not argue with your version of the events, but with what the jurors believe to be true. Let me give you another example. Let's say in your opening, you're gonna say, hospitals must keep patients safe and that safety includes safety from sexual abuse. This is from another actual case that I worked. So knowing that that's what I'm going to say in opening or that the attorney is going to say in opening, we started looking at, well, what do I need to ask in voir dire so that I can gift back to jurors their own thoughts on the situation? And so what we came up with was, what responsibility does a hospital have to keep patients safe? That's kind of how we got into that conversation. And then we asked a follow-up question, which was, does that responsibility uh, include protection from sexual abuse? And of course, there wasn't a single juror on our panel that said they have no responsibility to keep patients safe and no, it doesn't include sexual abuse. Why? I keep telling you all this, you stand on the side of the right. Of course, the jurors are going to believe that. So when we stood up in trial the next day and it was opening, we said hospitals have a duty to keep patients safe and that includes safety from sexual abuse. The jurors are like, mm -hmm. this is what we said. Again, it connected it. Highest recorded verdict in that county. Let me give you another example. Let's say an opening, you're going to say insurance companies promise they'll be there for you when you need them. Now think to yourself, you can answer here in the, in the, in the, in the comments, what would I need to ask? And this is the question you should be asking yourself always. What will I need to ask so that Jurors have already said what I'm going to say in opening. One of um, my favorite people on the crew, Jody Moore, said, it's like the, the, the jurors are carrying the opening inside of them, and your job is to pull it out. That's exactly what it is. The jurors have the opening in them. Your job is to get it out. So if you know that you're going you're gonna to say an opening, you know, insurance companies make all of these promises. What do you need to ask in voir dire? Well, it's very simple. What promises do insurance companies make to their customers? The jurors will give you that. They'll absolutely give you that. Why? Because they watch TV and they get the, the print ads and things that, you know, we're there for your family, ensuring that you're safe, making your dreams come true. They'll give you all that. And this is what I want you to really get is that you come in, most of you, to voir dire in that process with the idea that you have to give it to jurors. No, get rid of that. What you need to do is source it from the jurors because then it becomes their opening. Because again, when you get into opening and you say something like insurance companies make lots of promises and they must keep those promises, the jury was like, this is already stuff that we've talked about. Yeah, it feels familiar. 
it feels like it came from them. And again, it puts you in the position or puts the defense in the position of having to argue with the jurors now, not you. When you source from the jury, it becomes the jurors opening. Now there's things that they won't totally know that you're gonna have to, to fill them in with opening, but we're talking about the big concepts such as why you need to do the work ahead of time to figure out what your big concepts are. What are the things that you want jurors to get out in the air, so to speak, that you can then pluck and create your opening? Now, when I was writing the book, um, my editor was like, so are you saying in this part of the book, because I do talk about this in, in the book, are you saying that you wait to write your opening until you hear what the jurors are gonna say? I said, no, listen, I've said this before. If you go into voir dire, with no idea of what the jurors are gonna say, you have not prepared well enough. Listen, when you get clear on what the principles are in your case, we know what jurors are gonna say because again, 90% of people, 90, I'm gonna go up as high as 99% of people believe in these principles that all plaintiff cases uh, uh, hold, which are principles of betrayal, You know that that's wrong, uh, that, that um, dishonesty is wrong, that it's not okay to put um, profits over people, all of these different things. When you find those nuggets in your case and you ask these questions in the right way and in the right manner, knowing that you're gonna give it back to jurors in opening, you know that 99% of the jurors are gonna be on your side. This is what, what makes so much of this, this exciting. You know, June, Coach June is here. I call him Coach June because he's now a coach in the H2H crew. And he, he tells a wonderful story about how they were uh, picking a jury. And in fact, they had gone as far as opening. Um, and he used this very method. And the, the um, case got paused due to COVID. And they, the judge and, and both sides are trying to decide, should we start with a new jury panel? when we come back or sh should we stick with this one? So they went back to the jury panel uh, that they had chosen and they said, "Would you? who here would like to stay um, and come back? Out of the 11 uh, jurors that were chosen, nine raised their hand and wanted to come back. This was at the beginning of trial. Look, a lot of jurors by the end of trial have enjoyed the process, especially after deliberation and seeing you know, all the power they hold. But I tell you at the beginning, it's nearly impossible to get to pe well, people to wanna stay unless you make it about them, which is exactly what June was able to do. And Chris Medeksha was able to do. He just says this stuff works, y'all. We get it in the jury. We get it from the jury in Baudier and give it back to them in trial. That's exactly right. When you do that, jurors are now engaged. I mean, this is what the whole point of the book is, is how do I get people to want to be there instead of entrapping them and hoping they come along? How do I get them to want to be there? And how do I get them to want to be there fast? Well, you do it by getting this from them, talking about the principles in opening so that you can, I'm sorry, in voir dire, so that you can give it back to them in voir dire. So it becomes the jurors opening, not yours. So at this point, let me ask if you have any questions about this, this connection between voir dire and opening. Because I think if you, if you, get this, you know, we were in the crew the other day, I'll, I'll talk a little bit to see if there's any questions that are coming up um, in the meantime. And we were talking about the loss of a finger and why that's a big deal. And one of the things that we came up with is what are one of the first things that new parents count when their baby boy or girl is born? Well, they count fingers and toes, do they not? Why do we do that? 
Why do we do that? Because it makes us feel like our child is whole, like they've come out perfect, like there's nothing wrong. And so this is part of a person's identity is to have the fingers. And so when we were talking about how to do the voir dire in that case, we talked about how you don't say this to jurors. You don't say, now when a child is born, because this is where all y'all go. When a child is born, one of the first things that we do is we count toes and fingers. And the reason we do that is because of this. And somewhere in there, we end up asking a question. This, I see this all the time. Reverse that shit. You wanna say, what are one of the first things that we count on our children when they're born? Or those of you who haven't had children, when you were born, what do you think one of the first things your parents counted? And they'll all know, fingers and toes. Why do you think we do it? Do you see how I've switched that? Because now I can go into listening mode instead of it all being about me and me saying all the things about how great I am and all these great analogies I've come up with and let me share all this with you and then see if you agree. I say the least amount possible to get the jurors owning. I mean, this is why with, with um, the mini opening, I, I get a little nervous about the mini opening. Why? Because the mini opening is giving it to jurors and then asking how they think about what they think about it in Wadir. I really want to source as much as I can from the jurors themselves without any interference, right? So I drop in things like a question might be, you know, this, this case involves um, flour. And the jurors like, okay, and what are your experiences with flour and how important is flour? And what if, what do you use to cook with if you, or bake with if you don't have flour? And you know, there's some of you here that use almond flour and right, we're talking about flour. And then I said, okay, this, this also, this case also involves cinnamon. And they're like, oh, cinnamon and flour. I wonder what's cooking here in this case. And we talk about cinnamon and who likes cinnamon, who doesn't like cinnamon. And, you know, can you be a good juror in this case if you don't like cinnamon? You know what all, you know, that kind of stuff. Then we go, this case also involves apples. And at this point, the juror's like, I know what this case is about. They're making a pie, it's apple pie, right? But the important part is that I didn't come out and say, this case is about apple pie. What do you think about apple pie? I let the jurors come up with that on their own. Why? Because all social science tells us that that's how they get invested. That's what makes a winning case. Chris Medeck show, he used a lot of other people too, not just me and my method, but 13, nearly $14 million verdict by sourcing from the jurors and giving it back to them, not just in opening, but all the way through closing. You know, if you go back to that dram shop case, y'all don't have any questions? Okay. We go back to that drano shop case. You know, when we said, um, you know, bars can prevent drug driving and the good ones do, the next thing the attorney said is, you know, as parents, we teach our kids that you call me if you've been drinking, you do not get behind the wheel and you're not going to get in trouble as long as you call me. Now, when the attorney said that, that wasn't new. We had asked the jurors, what do we teach our kids about drunk driving? How have we managed that as parents? So this wasn't new. When we said it, he said it out loud and he looked directly at the juror that had said that and she started to cry because it was meaningful for her. She had told the attorney, I told my kid, listen, you're not getting in trouble, just call me, okay? So when he said that back to her, it was a big deal. He was making, we talk about making jurors important all the time, but when do we really do it? This is how we do it is we say, what you said is important. It's so important that I'm gonna repeat it to you and to everybody here. But this is why you need to take yourself out of Wadir 
and stop making it about you and all your clever attempts at analogies. You think up all that shit so that you can drop it in and let jurors play with it and you stay out of it. And you just go, well, what about this? Or how about that? Or you drop in a devil's advocate question or why do you think that is? Or what's important about that? Well, what was that like? See, here's the thing. When you think voir dire is hard, it's because you're working too hard. Voir dire becomes very easy when you do two things. You're very clear about what the principles are in your case and, 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 and how to find them. And then you get curious. When you're clear about what you're looking for and you combine that with curiosity, voir dire becomes fun. It becomes this kind of roller coaster that you're chasing of where they're going. And if they start to go down the wrong path, then you, you didn't have to, to bring them back. And that's probably gonna be the next thing we'll be talking about in the crew, how to facilitate a conversation, not just ask the powerful questions and have the conversation on the listening, which is what we all talked about in last quarter. By the way, if you join the crew, you have access to all of the trainings we've ever done back from when we even started. You, 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 you don't even, you didn't pay for that shit and you have access to all of it. So you can join. That's why you make it a little more expensive every time. So the sooner you join, the better. Um, Chris, uh, hi, Sarah. Chris saying, yep, I saw the juror react when I gave his answer back to him as well. His head shot back. It, absolutely. It's so important. It feels big to them. Uh, June, Coach June is saying the great thing about connecting the voir dire to the opening is that it really forces you to get clear on what it is that you are looking for in jurors. Instead of selecting jurors based on guessing, you can make a real educated decision based on what jurors actually believe on the issues and principles in your case. Absolutely. So often when we get stuck at the top of the funnel, which is the experiential, we need experiential because it's, it's, we need a way to get into this, this more principle oriented questioning. But when you get stuck there, what was your experience? What was that like for you? Okay, great. Who else has been in the hospital? What was your experience? What was that like for you? And we never get to how important is it for um, that hospital to be responsible? What's their, what's their role? Blah, blah, blah. We don't learn anything real. And we start making up stuff based on demographical information. Oh, I probably shouldn't have a nurse on this case. Oh, I probably, you know, women over 30 or all of that stuff I find limiting and unuseful. I'm not saying that it's not useful at all. I'm just saying in the moment, what you have the most access to is connection, listening and curiosity. That's what a good voir dire rests on. If you got someone else watching or doing the, the demographic information for you and, and doing all that shit on the back end, great, that's a bonus. But when you're up there with these people, what you need to be is curious and connected. That's we want investment, not information. Heaven in a, a podcast episode. It's not about gathering information. It's about getting jurors invested. And they get invested when they themselves come up with the ideas. And then when you give those ideas back to them, but for this to work, you have to be really clear about what it is you're looking for and what kind of conversations you want to have. And that takes the issue oriented voir dire. Hey, Aaron, good to see you. Um, if there's no questions, I'm gonna pop off uh, here pretty soon. So, or hop off here pretty soon. So let me know if you have questions. If you're in the crew or you're thinking about being in the crew, these are all the things we're working on because we're not, this is not a one and done. It's not like, oh, now you know how to do this, so go do it. We really believe in the four components, which is training, which is what you're getting now, practice, which is what the crew gives you, feedback, which is what the crew also gives you, and I also get live training in there, and community. 
because you get to talk to other people about how they're doing things. But that practice and feedback are huge. You have a bunch of opportunities to grab a hot seat with me where you have a designated time to work with me. But we also have office hours with Coach June and Coach K where you can do some mind shop or mindset work. You can come in and you can um, practice your voir dire, just first come first serve, constantly areas where you can be practicing. Because here's the thing, y'all have information. What you don't have is a place to practice and really get good at this stuff. Aaron Bundy, sorry, probably discussed this otherwise. Do you address the Jerry Spence talk about the bad parts of your case? Dude, issue-oriented voir dire is all about the bad parts of your case, but it's, it's not done in the Jerry Spence way. Meaning, when you create an issue-oriented voir dire, again, that was last month's Facebook Live. So those of you who haven't seen it, go back to the top of this group, click on media, Click on, um, I'm sorry, click on more, click on media, click on videos. You can go back and watch that or any other video. But issue-oriented voir dire starts with, what are the fears in your case? That's what I always ask my one-on-one my -on -one clients. What, what are we having to overcome here? What are the issues? Well, there was, you know, we always have in all the cases, you know, pre-existing conditions or, you know, bias against the plaintiff because of something decision they should have made or shouldn't have made or, you know, whatever the case is or, you know, standard of care issues. So I have a list. So that's what's informing the whole thing. What I don't suggest that attorneys do is to go in front of the, of the, of the jury and say, I'm worried about this. I know that works for Jerry. I know that works for a lot of people, but for me, I don't want, for me, here's what it is. We take so much from jurors that that feels like another thing we're burdening them with. We're saying, this is my fear, fix this for me. And I don't think that that's what we should be doing with jurors. I, I totally respect Jerry Spence and Jerry Spence can get away with like so much that most of the rest of us cannot get off, get away with because he's just incredible. Um, but that's the reasoning behind mine. If it works for you, great. But for me, I, instead of taking from jurors, I want to give to jurors. And I want to say, in this case, I'll make it principle-centered. So whatever issues in my case, there's a principle there that's hiding. And if we find that principle, then I can give that to jurors and go, what do you think about this principle? The principle that, you know, we take jurors and people as they come. We take the plaintiff, I should, sorry, and people in general as they come. Nobody uh, is perfectly perfect in their physicality. Everybody has some kind of pre-existing something, but that's not what we're here to discuss, right? So there's always a principle in there that is related to an issue in my case, but the way I frame it is going to back to the ideal juror profile. What would a juror have to think for this no longer to be an issue? And then I go, looking for the jurors that believe those things. So mine is, yes, it starts with the bad things in my case, but then I think, okay, if this is a bad thing, how do I make it a good thing? So if it's, let's say, example, um, um, so I'm thinking of the, the anesthesiology case where it was the nurse who was molested by the doctor. Um, gross, but that, that was the case in the book. So one of our issues in that case was you know, she was a nurse. She should have known, this is one of the defenses. She should have known not to go back to this room with this guy and no other nurse was present and, and, and you know, all these other things, right? She, she knew the protocol that he was breaking the protocol. And so she should have saved herself basically. So when we asked ourselves, what would a juror have to believe for this not to be an issue anymore? What we, what we came up with was that the, the nurse is not a nurse when she's a patient. 
she's a patient. And in addition, the jurors would find out later, this isn't something we could expect them to know in Boadir, she arrived for this spinal tap because she was having such horrible migraines that she was throwing up in the car in a bucket. So she, was, she wasn't even present to where she was being taken or who was there. But our big belief is that nurses themselves are patients when they are patients. They're not nurses. They shouldn't be on duty when they are patient. And so we've wandered around that. You're going to find out that the nurse in this, in this, in this case, or the, the a plaintiff in this case, or the person who was molested in this case is actually what we said, was a nurse. And so what are your thoughts? around how she should be treated when she's a patient. We had a great conversation around that. Now, Jerry might come in and say, you know, one of the things I'm worried about is that the nurse, the, the, or the person who's molested in this case is a nurse and that she should have known better. And right, it's, do you see the difference? We might get to the same place, but for me, I would prefer to give to jurors than rather have them fix my problems for me. I hope that's, that's, and Jerry probably doesn't look at it that way, but that's how I see it. Hopefully that answered that question. Are there other questions that y'all might have? Great to see you, Erin. That is the trial dialogue. And I'm telling you, all of these things that I give you are here to make your life easier. On some ways, it, it's harder because you have to do all the, the work ahead of time to really figure out what your principles are, what your ideal juror looks like, um, what questions we'll get at their beliefs. But once you have all that, you know, I was just, I just recorded a podcast with Coach June and we talked about creating habits out of this so that you're constantly, he, he does issue of voir dire every day. He does a little bit of it every day. So that this becomes easier and easier to think in this way. I know it's a very different way for you to be thinking. But when you really go in there and you're thinking to yourself, these there are jurors here that are principle-based jurors. In fact, most of these jurors are probably principle-based. And if I just get curious and I ask them about things I know later, I'm going to be telling them. But when I tell them, it's going to be coming from them now. Then you just have fun with it. Then you just get to go in there and have a boatload of fun. That's what I want you to do. That's what I want you to change your practice. That's why I want you and the crew. Go to fromhostagehero.com, get on the wait list for our April opening. Again, we may not open in June. We're wondering um, what to do about that. But in, just in case, get in April. Plus it's super fun and people in there are awesome, including several of the people who are here today. Thank you, H2H crew, those of you who are here today. Uh, if you have a moment before you leave, those of you who are in the crew, leave us a comment um, about what you think about the crew and why people should join. You can do that even after I jump off. Um, but thank you for being here again. You can go to that media, that more button media and videos to see all the resources we have here in the group. Feel free to post anything that's going on in your world that you want people to come and see and join. Happy to have you as long as it's a benefit to other attorneys. We don't want you selling shit here, but if it's a free event, uh, feel free to post that, feel free to post in here and ask about uh, experts or briefs that were written or motions that were written. Just, this is a, a resource for you. And I'm in here monthly um, to give you some training. Ah, question from Dylan. What's the question? All I see is I'm question. I'm waiting for Christy to get the rest of it. Those of you crew members, this is your chance to talk about how great it is. Um, question coming. Okay, I will wait. 
And Dylan, I think you're new to the the large from hostage to um, <laughs> and the, the the large from hostage to hero. Yeah, and saying the crew is H2H on steroids. Yeah, this is where we get to take all the stuff you're learning here in the big group. People are like, what's the difference? Well, from hostage to hero, where we are right now is the free group. We've got you know over 1,300 members. This is this is where you can talk about the podcast, the book. I'm in here live. But if you want to work with me, either in the crew or at all, I don't work with anybody now, unless you're a crew member one-on-one. So if you want to hire me as your consultant, you've got to be an H2H crew member. That's all in the H2H crew. Thank you people for writing. Sidia is saying the H2H crew is the most supportive group of practitioners I've ever met. And, and we also say Sidia is the best national law firm. I love how everyone's saying that because so many people in there helping each other, referring to each other, asking for referrals. It's, it's just... Y'all, it's amazing. People have said, I came for the trial skills. I stayed for the community and they're not lying. It's an incredible community. Still waiting on Dylan's question. Anyone else want to ask a question or um, post about your experience with the crew? This would be a great time for that. Um, Let's see what else. In April, what we will be doing for the opening is that we will open the H2H crew, not the Facebook group, but we will open the H2H crew events to non-members so you can come and observe and see what you think. So make sure that you are on the lookout for those. Okay, Dylan's question. What is your advice on how to best establish credibility with the venue as a young lawyer, especially when going against older hometown lawyers? Dylan, you need to get out of your mind that somehow being a young lawyer is worse than being an older lawyer. Meaning this is why we do so much mindset work. We have an actual coactive certified, two, two of us are trained. June is getting its um, certification soon. And we have other uh, attorneys coming, or coming in as certified coaches. This is why we do so much mindset coaching in the back end is because it's all about you. It's not about establishing credibility with the jury. When you believe that you are hot shit, that you are the best thing since sliced bread. That's what we believe in the H2H crew. It's all about owning your greatness. I'm gonna do a podcast on the word humble because that word just bothers the shit out of me. We're not talking about bragging, we're talking about owning. There's a difference. So when you own your greatness, and as I'm talking to you, Dylan, right now, you might be thinking, but I'm not great. That's your saboteur. You need to get rid of that shit. You need to go in there and own that you are amazing and the absolute best person to be bringing this case to trial because that's how you establish credibility. The jurors will never believe something you don't believe. So if you walk in there like you're the shit, the cock of the walk, that's gonna translate not in arrogance, but in I believe in my case and I believe in myself. I remember I, I had a high school student that wanted to, um, watch me work, just decide whether they wanted to be a trial consultant. I have no idea how to become a trial consultant. I just became one one day. It was just a, mere, a mystery. <laughs> but I said, sure, come and watch. And so we went and met with a client. And afterwards, we went to coffee. And I said, what you notice? And he said, I noticed that you walked in there like you like you own the place. That was amazing. And I said, well, yeah, you got to you got to act like you know what you're talking about. Even if you sometimes you don't feel like you know what you're talking about. Act as if. So my answer to you, Dylan, is Check in with yourself. Do you believe that you are amazing? Because I can tell you there are a lot of, let me see, uh, older hometown lawyers 
that are full of shit and don't know what the fuck they're doing. Not to mention that they stand on the wrong side, right? They stand on the side of corporate values, of insurance company values, which aren't even values. You stand on the side of the rights. You, you walk in there knowing that, that you're standing up for people. You're standing up for principles. And when you can stand in that place, that translates to the jury. This isn't false confidence. This isn't being, you know, I'm so amazing and I'm really not. It's, you are amazing because you're human and you're here. Go back and listen to, if Christy can drop it in there, um, the one thing you have to accept about yourself to become truly great. That's like the most listened to podcast uh, episode of my podcast. Listen to that over and over and over again before you go in there. I want you believing in yourself because you need to believe in yourself before jurors believe in you. Now, are there nonverbal things you can do? Yes, you can be highly authoritative, curl your voice down, have the palms coming down when appropriate with good breathing. When you're in voir dire, you wanna do the opposite. You wanna have the palms face up, the smiling face, right? There's different types. And I've talked about them in podcasts. Go back and look at some of the body language ones. But number one is mindset. June says, this community is a safe place for us to learn and practice these skills while training our minds so we bring back the joy of practicing law. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dylan, join the crew. My God, you would love it. Okay, my friends, that is your live for this uh, month. Join me next month. I'll be here again uh, in April. And again, we also open the crew next month. Get on that wait list. Love you all. Talk soon. Thanks for joining me today. If you benefited from what we talked about or just want to let me know you enjoy the podcast, go ahead and leave me a review on whichever platform you use to listen to From Hostage to Hero. Add a comment and I just might give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. In the meantime, head over to FromHostageToHero.com to order your copy of my book, From Hostage to Hero, Captivate the Jury by Setting Them Free. And to get on my mailing list, I send out trial tips and encouragement right to your inbox every single week. And while you're there, make sure you join the waitlist to become an H2H crew member when we reopen. We only open a few times each year and you do not want to miss out. I look forward to our time together in next week's episode. Talk then.